Welcome to the latest podcast by the National Institute of Economic and Social Research. I'm Luca Pieri, and today we're here to talk about, and hopefully shed some light on, some of the main points raised in the summer 2021 UK economic outlook. We will do so with one of our principal economists, Cyril Inahel. Hi, Cyril. Hi. So, Cyril, how is the UK economy doing? Uh, so the outlook for the UK economy has improved compared to our previous forecast three months ago. So we revised up our GDP growth from 5.7 to 6.8% for this year and from, from 4.5 to 5.3% for next year. The recovery is broad-based across uh, industries, uh, although some, some sectors are growing faster than others, in particular construction, where There's a, there's a very buoyant housing market and also private non-traded services, uh, which is benefiting from the, the reopening of the economy. So why do you think some sectors are, are growing faster than others? Can you, can you tell us a bit more? Of, yeah, you mentioned something, but like constructions and other sectors, maybe it's, it's obvious for, for some of our listeners, but not to others. Yeah, so um, that's a good point. So, so, so there were several effects. So one is, is a rebound effect. So, so some sectors like um, private non-traded services, which includes you know, hospitality, retail, uh, those sectors have been badly hit last year. And, and it's just a rebound effect where you know, when you reopen the economy after the winter lockdown, then, then the, the sector sort of rebounds uh, strongly. And other sectors like uh, construction are benefiting from some temporary schemes like the help to buy and, and other schemes where so, some, of the, uh, so, some of the sort of government support has gone into the housing market in the expectation that it, it would struggle during the pandemic. But it turned out that that in the end, people, you know, during the pandemic care a lot about their, their living conditions and where they live. And they've actually decided to spend more on housing than before because they spend more time at home. Thank you, Cyril. So, I, I, you know, one, one thing is taking the title of the, of the analysis is, you know, emerging from the shadow of COVID-19. How is the UK economy emerging from this huge shock Uh, given also the pandemic is not over, unfortunately, yet. So at the moment, the economy is, has very much a, a good momentum. So um, in, the latest, uh, in the latest quarter, it grew at a, at a healthy rate of 4.8%. And, and so at the moment, we are really sort of widening the wave of the recovery. But we know there were some, some clouds at the horizon because the, the economy is facing some some capacity constraints. So you can see it with some uh, tensions in the labor market. There were some supply chain problems. You see rising inflation. So th there were a lot of things that have the potential to, to slow down the growth from now on. And so we, we should be very careful to, to monitor those um, because um, they are going to uh, affect what will happen uh, at the end of this year and, and next year. So you talk about, you know, a few things that are going, let's say, pretty well in terms of economic recovery. And you were starting to mention what main issue that the UK economy is currently facing. And you mentioned inflation, obviously. And the other one, it seems to me, it is unemployment in a, in a way. And also, bear in mind, the end of full of scheme is approaching. It's set to expire at the end of September. What, what does it mean for the, for the UK economy? So 
I totally agree with uh, with sort of the, the two points you, you you highlighted. So on inflation, so we we currently have inflation that that rose from from 0.4 percent uh, in February to 2.0 percent in the latest July data, and we forecast it to rise up to 4 percent at the beginning of next year. So that's twice the the target of the Bank of England. So 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 that's very important concern. Because if the Bank of England needs to raise interest rate to sort of uh, tame inflation, then this will put the brakes on on economic growth. And and the the other thing on the labour market is, so we have this very sort of unusual situation where you have a high number of people on furlough, so nearly 2 million in in the latest data from the end of June, yet you have some um, labor shortages in some jobs and some industries. And and, and that comes from the fact that there's probably a a skills mismatch between the the jobs that the the, the businesses need to to fuel this recovery and the the pool of available workers to, um, to move to those jobs. Uh, with the wide skills. So th- those are clearly two sort of important obstacles that we've um, identified to the UK prospects. Well, the point about skills mismatch is a very important one, I think. But if you can go back to the fuller scheme, given it is approaching the end, what, what do you think is going to happen to unemployment? And also, are we in a position from an economic data point of view to assess the success or, or not of, of the fuller scheme? And uh, did it achieve its purpose? Yeah, so I, I, will, I will start with the second part of your question. So on the furlough scheme, it, it has clearly been very successful in terms of limiting the rise in unemployment. If you look at the forecast, you know, last, last year at the beginning of the pandemic, we were expecting unemployment to rise to up to 10%. Yet one year later, unemployment is at 4.7%. And while it may increase uh, at the end of the year because of the end of the furlough scheme, we are still in, in a much more favorable situation that, than we were expecting last year. And uh, in particular, it, m- most economists were also very surprised that in the first quarter when th- there was a lockdown and consumption dropped by 4.5%, unemployment didn't rise at all so and it, it actually declines slightly so that means the the labor market has been very resilient uh, during this crisis and this can be largely attributed to the furlough scheme and in terms of the first part of your question uh, what will happen so there is a lot of uncertainty because we have this market where at the moment businesses are struggling to to find the, the right people to recruit and the number of vacancies has risen to close to 1 million so so that's very that's like a, a really a record high yet the, the fact that the furlough scheme will, will end and that uh, nearly 2 million people will need to go back to uh, either their previous jobs or to unemployment means that there is a big pool uh, of people for employers to to pick from for uh, for their jobs. So that means it's very difficult to forecast unemployment. And what we expect based on analysis of the different sectors and and, uh, the latest data we have is is that we expect unemployment to twice slightly based on the fact that over 150,000 people would go from the furlough scheme to unemployment. uh, And that would push up unemployment rate to 4.7%. So, so that's quite a moderate increase in unemployment, um, but that's sort of... What, it's not what, terribly, terribly worrying. It's not no, what 
worry you the most at the moment? I mean, I think the most worrisome thing is is really this skills mismatch. So, so we did an analysis by comparing uh, the number of people on furlough and the number of vacancies by industry. And so you would expect in, in a balanced market, those two to be quite correlated. And, and now what we find in the latest data is that uh, some sectors like health, finance and insurance have more vacancies than furlough. So, so those are really the, the industries where you have some uh, labor shortage and there really needs to be like a program or, or something to help those people sort of acquire the skills to move to those sectors. Otherwise, there will be some problem for those industries and, and businesses in those sectors. We don't want to mention the B word, but is, is Brexit having any effect on this in terms of obviously freedom of movement is ended from within the EU and possibly those sectors would have benefited from the possibility of recruiting uh, workers quite fast, I think? Or? Yes, absolutely. Um, there is some evidence of the impact of Brexit. One way we can see it is that if you look at the decline in the total employment since the beginning of the pandemic, two thirds of the, uh, that's about 700,000 people uh, less in employment compared to uh, February last year. And from those, around two-thirds of people who have become inactive, so, so declining in the uh, in the number of active people. And we have reason to believe that some of that is people who have left the country to sort of go back to their home state, and most of them being probably EU citizens. And the problem is that those people, you would expect them to come back once the pandemic is uh, is getting better. But because of it, it's more difficult now to immigrate to the UK because of Brexit, then you have some jobs where there was some persistent labour shortage. And, and so it's not just a temporary problem, but it could become a, a structural problem. So there is much food for thought trying to absorb your words on the labor market. Now, moving to the other hot topic of the summer from an economic point of view is definitely inflation. You mentioned that we could double the Bank of England target. So first of all, why it is rising and, and it is rising quite fast for, for the recent standard, historic standard? Yes, so there, there were several factors that, that sort of fuel this rising inflation. The one is the commodity prices, which have risen a lot compared to, to last year. Another one is input prices uh, for producers that have the, uh, risen up to 10% in May this year compared to May last year. So that sort of feeds into uh, consumer prices. And you also have some supply chain issues and delays. So the, the most famous one is the microchip shortage, which is uh, currently affecting the auto industry and means that uh, if you if you order a car, then you have to wait longer for it to be delivered. And uh, the last thing I would mention is the, the sort of reversal of the reduction in VAT, which will go back progressively to 20% in some sectors like hospitality and hotel and holiday accommodation. So that will also push up inflation. Should we be worried about uh, inflation? What do you think? What are your, you so, know, your thoughts on? Yes, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult question, but um, there, there were some reasons to be worried about inflation becoming sort of persistently higher. So because while some of those factors that I've explained are temporary, so for example, the rise in VAT, the, the global supply ch uh, chain issues are temporary. Some of them may be more permanent. So, for example, the fact that because of Brexit, you have additional costs to, to import and export some products from the EU. 
So that's like a permanent rise in, in prices. And also the, um, the skills mismatch in, in the labor market is also one thing that could sort of have a, a, a permanent effect. So that means, you know, there's the potential for inflation to be persistently higher. And the, the way we would notice it if it happens is if inflation expectation wise compared to, to the Bank of England target of 2%. So what should the Bank of England do then? What is in its, uh, you know, what, what are the options? So the, the good news is that the Bank of England has a lot of options. And I guess the bad news is that maybe it had too many options in terms of how to tame inflation. So because it can it can obviously increase the, the base rate, which is the, the, the Bank of England interest rate from 0.1% at the moment. And we expect that it will rise to half a percent at the end of next year. And the other big instrument that it has is to unwind the QE, which has reached about half of uh, of. GDP in terms of how, how much the Bank of England has bought. And uh, so if, it, if the Bank of England were to, to sell this, all those bonds, then it would sort of increase yields and reduce inflation. And, and so, so then the question is, you know, which instrument does, does the Bank of England choose? And uh, when does it start to, to sort of uh, tighten its policy? And when do you think it's going to happen? And obviously, if you, if you can't put a date on it, you know, what, what are the factors that will influence either one, one decision or or another yeah so it's so what what we, we know from uh, from evidence uh, so we did uh, like a, a li- literature review on on the quantitative impacts of, of QE and uh, so what, what we've noticed was that based on literature estimates if you sort of increase QE by 10% of GDP then it increases uh, the 10-year bond year by around 50 basis points so if the Bank of England were to sell all of those bonds then it could raise the 10-year yield by by 220 basis points, so 2.2%. So, so that's that's a big tool that uh, the Bank of England has. And the important thing for, for them is, is to sort of tell market when they're going to start this process and under which condition, because at the moment, it, it's not very clear when it will happen. And in the latest MPC meeting, the Bank of England became a bit more hawkish, saying that they, they would sort of start doing it within the next two years. But we still sort of argue for more communication and in particular sort of which indicator does the bank look at uh, to know whether it's going to start unwinding QE or raise interest rate and uh, in which order. So we have to wait and see basically, isn't it? Absolutely. But uh, I think the key thing is that the, the bank sh- should not wait until inflation becomes persistently high, because then if it does so, it's a bit too late and, and then it would sort of have to overreact to compensate. So it's important to, to start early uh, and to sort of anticipate the, the issue of rising inflation. Thanks very much, Cyril. This is all we have time for. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. And until the next podcast, goodbye.